0: Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Grusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. And it is uh, still hunkered down coronavirus Wisconsin and we have our full panel with us via Zoom, which means Claire here. our Healthcare Director, is with us. Claire, it's great to great to see you via Zoom again this week. Uh,
1: thanks, it's great to be here, Matt.
0: And as always, Robert Craig, our executive director is with us. Robert, also good to see you via Zoom. Good day, everyone. I suppose I should stop plugging Zoom. Uh, There are many other (laughs) forms, but we have been using it and actually, like others, struggling with it. But we are really glad you could join us this week. We have a, a lot of stuff to talk about. It is incredibly busy. Um, and uh, we are going to talk about the continuing, ongoing protests and the responses uh, to the Black Lives Matter protests that have been going on now for three weeks running here in Wisconsin and nationally. Uh, we will look at how some municipalities are responding or not responding, um, and we'll have talk talk more about that. We're also going to talk about uh, some updates on uh, the latest with COVID-19. There's been a lot of news, including our UW system opening up um, and new, more news on sort of the economic fallout uh, from COVID. We'll also talk a, a bit about the big news this week with the Supreme Court decision. But with that, let's get into talking about the ongoing movement For Black Lives, and we've been talking about this pretty much since it started. Um, And the big news this week is uh, Juneteenth Day is on uh, Juneteenth Day is on Friday, and there are going to be national events, protests, um, all kinds of events on Juneteenth Day. In addition to the traditional huge events, like here in Milwaukee, there is every year a very very large event. Uh, but events around the country uh, to continue this movement uh, for Black lives, um, and in particular, and I want to get the panel's reaction here in here in Wisconsin. We 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 spent time last week talking about starting to talk about right, like what are some of the best policies uh, to follow up on this uh, and to actually start to make change, whether it be in our police department or more broadly with uh, white supremacist uh, uh, systems. Uh, and this week, uh, the, we've been waiting to find out whether there'll actually be a special session and whether there'll actually be a conversation in our state legislature and at state-level government about police reform. And our, uh, the Black Caucus here of the uh, state legislature uh, over a week ago uh, has asked Governor Evers to call a special session on Juneteenth Day. Uh, that call continues to be echoed this week by the broader uh, Democratic Assembly, Uh, and it is something that is very, very much needed. Um, I want to give uh, both of uh, Robert and Claire an opportunity to talk about this. Uh, We're we're now multiple weeks in, and, you know, it's very possible, especially if this doesn't happen, that there may be absolutely no response at the state level uh, to what has been happening nationally. Claire, I want to get your initial thoughts on this and uh, in this moment, uh, now multiple weeks in,
1: I would also be uh, not surprised at all if there was a complete uh, dearth of action by the state legislature. On this issue, uh, just as there has been a, a complete lack of action on their part about accepting the responsibility that they fought for in court to take over the COVID response, um, they they clearly um, are are just not interested in uh, talking about these issues, and uh, it's unconscionable, um, especially in in this moment uh, where even. Congress is taking up the issue that our uh, state legislature would not be, um, but uh, but I I agree with you that um, I hope they do. I hope they come back into session to talk about this issue. But I will not be surprised if they don't. Robert, what do you think?
2: Frankly, I think they're playing on the hope that the federal action is what people will focus on, and there really is a, a weird kind of thing out there where people. Don't expect things from their own state government that they should expect from their state government, and so it doesn't naturally come to everyone's mind. Well, where's the state legislature? And I think that the Republican majority, which I want to r- remind folks, is not a legitimate le- majority. It was created by gerrymandering. Not saying they wouldn't have one house, but they would not have a supermajority in each, especially in the assembly, like they have. Uh, In fact, the assembly Democrats won the popular vote in 19 in 2018, probably in 1918, too. I'm kidding. And so, frankly, their theory of governing is they don't govern unless they have full control. And so they in their theory, which is a hard right kind of our way or the highway to Biden conquer theory, Uh, There's no reason to cooperate with Governor Evers, despite the governor being a willing partner on cooperation. In fact, he would love, he would rather have bipartisanship, and therefore they've made bipartisanship partisan. That's one. Second, they're probably way behind even most Republicans in red states on mass incarceration and criminal justice reform. I mean, there's been nothing emanating from Republicans in Wisconsin. And so in the weird sort of way, like we saw in the CARES Act, the five, five Republican votes against it in the, in, the, in, in the House and then with Senator Johnson, and they were a handful of the only votes against it, our right-wing Republicans are even worse than the ones that we see in a lot of other states. And so while you see uh, action from people like the uh, Senator uh, Tim Scott from South Carolina that's inadequate, at least it's action. Right, of some kind, at least some recognition.
0: I just think it's appalling that there would be no discussion. There wouldn't even be, um, like we can't even just have a a meeting where where they would get together and have a heart-to-heart discussion about what they've experienced, what do people think. You know, I mean, even if we know that they're far apart in terms of ideologically where they are, it is absolutely disturbing that there would be no discussion, that they wouldn't get together and try and have this. Robert, I hear what you said. I hear, because that is all very real. But um, this is a historic moment in demands uh, that that we all talk. And let's be honest, this is a largely white legislature, right? And it is imperative that we be having this conversation. Absolutely. And it's just appalling that that this is not being pushed and that they're not going to sit down and at least have conversations with each other, even if it led to nothing. This is I think this is is disgusting. I mean, we have highly partisan situation on the federal level and we have even Republicans coming up with their own proposals. What's going on? I just I'm I'm extremely appalled and, and don't believe that they should at all get a pass
2: think they should get a pass either. And I'm glad we just had this exchange. But the deeper question after that is that even what Democrats are proposing uh, is the tip of the iceberg of what needs to happen. And you got to remember that it's not about uh, just policing. Yes, of course, black men should not be summarily executed for $20 forged bills or for falling asleep in a drive-through or, or jogging through the wrong white neighborhood, as happened to Ahmad Arbery. But at the same level, policing is the tip of the sword of mass incarceration, which is the tip of the sword of the decision not to deal with the horrendous historical inequality that is get, getting worse again with the pandemic and was not improved dramatically by the Great Recession, because even the first black president, didn't take on the fundamental structures when he had uh, the Great Recession, the last great opportunity. We have another great opportunity to change the whole economy. Until you have closer to equal economic power, this will happen. The reason that you don't have this activity occurring in white suburbs right by Menominee Falls, which we'll talk about later, does not have uh, the, uh, white teenagers being summarily executed by police and, and everything short of that. In other words, we don't lose sight of all of the abuse and undignities that happen every day that are short of murder, right? Which also are also a deep wound of being a, Af- a person of color in this, in this country. Uh, the reason it doesn't happen in part is racism, obviously, but it's also in part that those folks have political power. And they literally would hold a police, a cop department, an individual police responsible. You'll get away with this when people have been marginalized and don't have the power they should and aren't equal citizens. So we need to change the whole structure that policing is only the tip of the spear for. We are going to actually, we're going to have to
0: go take a break. But when we come back from the break, we want to talk more about some of the, a little bit more about what is actually happening in, in some of these communities right and we know in milwaukee there's 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 certainly been an effort we're going to talk a little bit more about some of these early efforts um and why they're so important and why we we continue to need to be involved because it's just not enough to to have the marches, right, we actually need to make some changes, even if it's challenging. And we know uh, politically sometimes it looks undoable. But we'll, after this break, we'll talk about some of uh, what's being proposed here in Milwaukee and uh, how that holds hope for other communities to take a look at this. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. where Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back the Battleground, Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. And we are talking about what has the, been the response here in our state in particular uh, to the Black Lives Matter movement uh, since the murder of George Floyd. And here in Milwaukee, where, where at least this show is, is, is located, uh, there's been a couple of places that I wanted to at least get uh, the panel's response to where we had started to see some actual efforts to change policy. Uh, One is at the City of Milwaukee where there is now a proposal that is on the table for the city to come up with a budget that removes 10% of the funding from the Milwaukee Police Department and puts it into other areas uh, like public health services, social work services, other areas uh, uh, to meet the needs of our community. Uh, And the other is our just last night uh, there is a proposal And we want to give a shout out to Lit uh, um, here in Milwaukee and the organizers who have been leading this effort, uh, which, by the way, predates uh, this latest effort, right, uh, both COVID and uh, the Floyd moment, uh, to move and get the Milwaukee police out of our schools And so there's that, that is an effort that looks like it is likely to be successful here in Milwaukee. Um, Claire wanted to get your thoughts on both of these efforts or and uh, other efforts. And after this, we will talk about Menominee Falls, which is sort of the flip of the coin. Claire, your thoughts?
1: Yeah, so I was actually on the uh, school board in Milwaukee in um, 2016 when we. Uh, moved police officers out of schools. Um, so the, the school resource officers in Milwaukee, like in many districts around the country, used to be uh, physically based in the schools. Um, and there is just uh, mounting evidence from national sources that having officers in schools was the um, the epitome, the the physical manifestation of the school-to-prison pipeline because police officers often end up being used more like uh, mini administrators and officers and doing things like writing tickets for things that should be um, detentions, right? Um, and then all of a sudden a kid gets caught in the system. Um, so, so I was on the school board will we voted to take um, police officers out of schools and move to the current model, which is um, where officers are um, sort of stationed in neighborhoods around schools to, um, and are supposed to, you know, quote unquote, help when um, school gets out to maintain order and things like that. But we know that obviously that's still not um, a great model. It was um, a step, and that's often how policy happens, is in steps. Uh, And it is to uh, lift, in particular, um, their uh, their relentless, tireless efforts to keep this uh, issue going for, uh, or to, to keep Having folks talk about the need to end that contract altogether, or at least to the greatest extent allowable by state law, um, they've certainly been talking about continuing that reform for years and years, uh, well before this uh, this current uh, moment of focus, of heightened focus on racial justice and defunding the police. So I think all the you know a lot of props to them, and a lot of props to uh, the current school board members or being willing to listen and work
2: with them on this issue. These are all good measures. I mean, the extent to which we've made everything a policing issue and a criminal justice issue and a matter of crime and punishment, particularly in education where we're supposed to be building young minds and young characters, and we're going to be punitive that way. Uh, is just uh, the tip of the iceberg. It's very important that we're starting to move on it. Uh, so I'm glad to see it. I'm glad to see all the organizing, moving these institutions that are hard to move. So I think what LID has done is extremely important. I just want to see us, as we go to protest to actually taking on structural racism, to get deeper and deeper, right? To get to the underlying causes and changing the, the, the underlying racist structure, not Uh, Starting with the worst symptoms, yes, we should absolutely do that, and that's, of course, the most popular, but also keep it going, and that's going to be very hard. One of the reasons the system usually survives is the system has endless patience and endless ways to kill reforms and dissipate energy, and so I think the commitment of all the young people who have self-organized marches in Wisconsin and throughout the country that, that energy and passion uh, can be a very long term thing, but it, it the, there's always the risk it'll become like Occupy Wall Street where it doesn't really have an avenue beyond the protest itself. And that's also where we can ally with this movement. Those folks like Claire, who have knowledge of uh, how how say the school board works because she was on it, just as one example of many or our, our coming guest, representative Brostoff, can help this movement understand, if, how to move things within this system and ultimately change the system in a partnership role, not as in a taking it over role or, or telling anyone what to do. The central demands have to come from the street, uh, from the energy of the movement and the people who are driving it.
0: So, yeah, I want to encourage our listeners. uh, It's very important that you support, be involved and support these efforts in your local community. So we were just mentioning the, the effort in the Milwaukee public schools Uh, just last night and again we record thursday so wednesday evening uh that's an important start and it's very important to support that organizing uh in order to continue to to build this momentum also want to mention right like this is happening in other areas the lacrosse school board is looking and has openly talked about what claire you mentioned that there is no real there's no good statistical data that having police and it hasn't hasn't improve anything and and they're also bringing that up and looks like could be getting rid of cops in their schools. so there if there's this is just the beginning as you mentioned robert and we need to push deeper um what i'd like to actually move to now is um we want to talk about quite frankly where municipalities seem to be falling way short and almost like you know in a very negative way and um, would like to make sure people are aware of this so we can try to even do a do good work in communities like say Menominee Falls and uh, that brings us to our next our guest our first guest I should say our guest on the show he is someone we have had on before uh, and that is representative Jonathan Brostoff Jonathan uh, thanks for joining us uh, uh, this morning my pleasure So the reason we're having Jonathan on is Jonathan has been a part of uh, the daily marches here in Milwaukee. And this week, I believe it was Tuesday, uh, Jonathan can give us the details. Um, In fact, I was watching his video, his live stream at the time. The marches went to Menominee Falls for a very good reason. Uh, We had a school board member there uh, say horrible things. Uh, We can get into those details. And there was a protest uh, a fantastically well-organized protest that was at uh, went to went to his house, but also was in Menominee Falls that evening. And businesses, uh, namely uh, uh, Speedway and Walgreens and others, started shutting their doors to the protesters. And that's why we have Representative Brastoff on to tell us more about this. So, Jonathan, tell us more about exactly what happened uh, and set the scene. And we can we'll we'll take a break after a few minutes, but continue to carry on this conversation, if you could at least uh, give us the context of exactly what happened, and and then we'll get into why this is uh, so terrible and why we need to fight this stuff.
3: Sure. Well, I can kind of set the table and explain exactly you know what went on, but I'd also encourage you guys to have my colleague and friend, uh, Representative Bowen, to come join, uh, who's also there with me, but um, basically... First of all, the whole energy in Menominee Falls is wildly different. You know, we were out near Tulsa last night and tried Milwaukee, stuff like that. It was a completely different energy. For example, um, I didn't even realize at the time, but uh, cause I was, you know, kind of focused on a couple of things. We walked by a Little League game with a bunch of little kids playing baseball, stuff like that or whatever. Basically, I the adults who were coordinating the baseball game or whatever, and the umpire and stuff like that were like, had all the kids stop the game, turn their backs to us, wait for us to walk by. And to me, that's like a very telling symbology of, you know, what's up out there. And, you know, it's a lot of it's a lot of racism uh, all over Wisconsin, even, you know, maybe closer than any of you might realize. But, you know, it's not just people screaming, you know, the N-worded folks and stuff like that as well. Anyway, so we got there. The energy was wildly different. And a lot of the kind of lead organizers who are black, you know, even afterwards it's like, Saying, you know, there was kind of an emotional pull. I think that was taking on folks as well These these certain expenses because you can imagine, you know, the tire, you know, how tired it is, like that, or whatever. So we got there and uh, we're marching through. And as we're coming up on Shady Lane and Main Street, uh, there's we're on the street, and um, a couple people go up to the gas station, which is the speedway. One person approaches it who is black, and he was denied access immediately. And then Another person who was white uh, was allowed in and then who I think was a neighbor who, you know, was he was from that area. And then I, uh, a a couple other people wanted to go in and they were denied actors, they're also black, and I saw this from I, I was not directly in the city, I was a little bit away, but I could see exactly what was going on and playing out in front of my eyes. So I wanted to run up and um document it and I love it, uh David I was David uh, Bowen said he'd be interested maybe sometime later to text me back. But anyway, ran up and documented it and uh, wanted to go see exactly what's going on because far too often white people are in a situation where they're basically like, well, I don't believe this. I don't know. It doesn't really have 2020 2020 without that stuff. And, you know, kind of gaslighting the community and stuff like that or whatever, and gaslighting black people specifically. And so I wanted... And we, I just had a conversation about this sort of thing earlier today with Corey Joe Biddle over a few milwaukee or whatever and so i wanted to show this is exactly what it is and and speak out against stuff like that so went up and documented and then um representative brossoff
0: i'm gonna interrupt you so we can quickly go to a break i want you to tell us what happened right after that right after this break you're listening to the battleground wisconsin welcome back to the battleground wisconsin we are talking about what went down in menominee falls Uh, This week, Representative Brostoff is with us. He was also with Representative David Bowen, uh, who witnessed this and captured it on video. Uh, Representative, you were just about to tell us uh, what happened uh, as you uh, went up to the speedway.
3: Yeah, so again, you know, we got... uh, So I was on the street, saw a black person being denied, and then, you know, they let a white guy in, apparently, and then it was... Uh, a few other black people that wanted to go up and patron the store and, you know, go on to, you know, buy a hot dog and, you know, people want to use the facility, stuff like that. And then uh, when that was going on, I wanted to kind of run up and see. And, you know, I say this too. It was clearly racist. It was that black people were coming up here and they were shutting their doors to and stuff like that. And I have a couple of thoughts on that. One is obviously in light of other recent racist things going on like the, uh, trustee for the village, Taggart, uh, basically, you know, saying they want live ammunition used on Black Lives Matter protesters up there and joking about that, you know, quote-unquote joking about that. You know, it doesn't sound funny to me, but, you know, as well as some other racist incidents going on and, you know, some of the student-student organizing and stuff like that out there. I want to know from residents of Menominee Falls what you're going to do, not only to make sure that Black people get access to your facilities, it shouldn't even be the bar, that shouldn't even be something you'll think about, you know, in these days and age, but also what you're gonna to do to make it a welcoming, inclusive community. Because it's not just saying the bare minimum of people shouldn't be denied access at your Walgreens on Pilgrim and Maine or at your uh which by the way, the quick trip was there and they had no such, you know, directive or nothing like that. let so me say that too. But you know, your Walgreens on Pilgrim Main or your Speedway on and and on um Shady Lane and Main Street. And it's not just that. It's not just you know, the, these two instances, although that has to be dealt with as well. But so what is the community, are you going to do to step it up an option? How are you going to have a representative, a trustee who is behaving like that? And by the way, there was also a vote to censure him where another trustee was using incredibly offensive language around lynching and, you know, very, you know, racist type stuff as well. And she voted for him not to be censured, not to be, you know, removed that stuff as well. And, you know, he also voted on that. What? How is that not a, how did he not refuse himself you know, just procedurally, I have a question on that because he the rest us that himself, but anyway, it was split three to three, and so no action was taken, but, um, yeah, Menominee Falls is racist, uh, you know, community, and they got to do something about it, and, you know, again, I think, uh, now we're living in an era where all the racism people we talking about for so long, and no one's been paying attention, or pretending it doesn't happen, or, you know, someone was making the analogy earlier, kind of like the Saddam Hussein who kind of let, you know, in Iraq, who kept everything together, and now everything's being revealed and unfurling and people are freaking out about it. Yeah, that's what's going on. That's what we got to deal with. And that's our uh, responsibility. And, and to your point about, you know, school board before, shout out to Lid. I'm wearing my Lid t-shirt today. There's, uh, you know, they're organizing. It looks like it's going to pass unanimously. And obviously, we've had cops and schools and tabs program and truancy stuff for years. Even as I was a little kid, I thought it was weird. But, you know, now the fact that there's actually action being taken you know, mad props to uh, Director Phillips uh, who actually succeeded Claire on the school board as well as uh, Director Taylor and, and those that you lead although I think a lot of folks are supportive and it's probably going to pass unanimously so props have on support and stuff like that as well Well that's why i wanted
0: to have you on today jonathan we just this is this is really an important time for a lot of folks you may not live in milwaukee or a city like milwaukee that has a large diverse population well you know what now's the time for us in all of our communities especially white folks to step up and hold our hold our municipalities accountable or the kind of leadership we have. And that is what you're here today calling, right? The folks in Menominee Falls, it has now been put on display, both their business sector and their elected officials. And this response is unacceptable. And it's not just Menominee Falls. It is in a lot of our communities. And this moment is a call for us to step up and say no more, right? This will not yeah, be It is not funny to joke about shooting protesters. That's not a joke. And then it's not okay to come back and try to suggest that that guy is supposedly being lynched. That is appalling. And we need, as you said, the good people of Menominee Falls in all of our communities now to step up in, in this time and just not, not allow this. And then support Absolutely. folks like the youth at Lit and other groups when, when they're actually moving stuff uh, that will actually address, start to address uh, some of these issues, at least as it relates in that case what's happening yeah. in our
3: schools. Well and and I will say that we had a significant amount of folks come out and, you know, join us or say they're supportive or say they really needed this or stuff like that. It's not just about the elected official, although that needs to get dealt with ASAP. And by the way, why does it take us to come to your community to organize these marches or talking about people possibly do talking to do chocolate folks that you do it. That's your community, goddammit, it! And I wanna see what you're gonna do about it. And why do we have to have other people coming to marches, Street, stuff like that. What are you going to do to, you know, disrupt the status quo and make sure that not just your municipal leaders, your state representatives, resource allocation, you know, and are you giving money to groups like Love on Black Women? Shout out to Siobhan and Love on Black Women. If you're not, check them out on Facebook, but you can give money to them. There's lots of stuff you can be doing. What are you doing? It shouldn't take, uh, and don't ask for us to have to come back and da 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 and you're talking about, you know, live ammunition, maybe people putting their lives online, they have all those right gear, cops, keep out. You know, looking like they were to start some stuff, stuff like that. Don't talk about that. You know, what are you going to do, Menominee Falls, and everyone? This is a call to action for you. The responsibility is on you. And I want to hear from you, other white people. What are you going to do?
1: Yeah, I think that uh, this, this issue of, or this uh, action, I'll say, this racist action of uh, closing a retail location, stores, to uh, certain people out of fear based on the color of their skin is certainly nothing new. Uh, We've heard stories about this happening before. I remember a few years ago a story about uh, a member of the basketball team going to a jewelry store in Bayshore Mall and having the white staff there get scared and lock the doors to him and hide and call the cops, right? And the only reason why we heard about that is because he happened to be a celebrity and so it made news. But this is the kind of experience that uh, regular non-celebrity folks experience on a regular basis, which is why I'm glad that uh, representatives Rostoff and Bowen are out there with these marchers uh, making videos to document the real lived experiences of folks who participated uh, in this march because if, if you weren't there putting your uh, your body to the line in support of this issue and in support of these marchers, we probably would have heard or seen um, uh, this uh, this practice happening, especially uh, have have video of it. So I, I'm glad that uh, you were there. I'm glad that you made this video so that you could document it. And uh, I particularly love the call to action that you just made for us. So so thanks for what you're doing. And um, I hope that we we can all live up to your example and, and be better, better allies in that way. Robert, did you have something you wanted to add?
2: So, Jonathan, obviously the historic protest movement that has been spurred by George George Floyd's murder, but obviously it's been a long time building and was built by African-American people initially. The Ferguson protests were not popular with white people generally, but that's flipped. And that's one of the exciting things. And That's something black leaders are excited about because you do need a multiracial movement to change structural racism. So one interesting question with Menominee Falls, because everything you've described is just straight over racism, right? Of, of that that people like to believe is from a bygone era, but it's not. But we all know that there's something deeper here. You could remove all of those surface manifestations of racism. And if you didn't change the structures and you kept people stuck in poverty as second-class citizens in every way, then you would still have a racist society. And so I wonder, since white opinion is flipped, whether it's possible that these Menominee Falls leaders didn't get the memo and that their own constituents don't agree, or a lot of them don't. And what I'm really looking forward to seeing, you just talk to them in a way. I don't know how many actually listen to Battleground Wisconsin. They ought to, but they may not. Uh, and, but will they rise up? Because obviously there are some of them that are going to say people agitators from Milwaukee coming in, that that'll just make a side with these people, which would be very sad. And And obviously I think someone had to do it, so I'm glad you and everyone out there did what they did. But I'm just saying it's going to be interesting to see whether or not Uh, Those folks are are essentially swimming against public opinion, and they're what cognitive scientists call brilliant idiots. They think they know what they're talking about, but they're living sometime in the 1980s or 90s.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, the the reality of of this whole larger situation, that growth is not comfortable. If you are comfortable, you are not growing, And a lot of people are going to have to be very uncomfortable with what's going on. I'll tell you, you know, it's in their best interest, too, matter of fact. Because the gross inequities we've been dealing with in this country since the original sin of slavery and, and all of the manifestations after have huge consequences on everything. And that pressure is going to pop one day or the other. Now, we saw, obviously, with Kaepernick, they said, well, he, you know, son of a bitch, and, you know, blah, blah. And they, well, not, but he's trying to bring attention to this brutality by kneeling. And that's, you know, the most, you know, uh, you know whatever. That's like a 0% pop-up rate. Now, nothing was done about it. No changes were made. And a little bit later, we're seeing, you know, uh, this happen again and again, again and all that tinder with all that tingling, you know, with, with a little bit of sparks flying off it. We're at about a 1% pop-off rate. And people are freaking out. And all these white people are so scared and da 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 But what if that looks like a 5% or 20% or 50% pop-off rate? So if you don't do something about it, if nothing gets done, it's worse for you as well. So if you're only concerned about yourself you don't even recognize... The humanity another then you should still be worried about but of course that's not you know that's not even the point we need to finally acknowledge and fully realize the humanity of black people in this country and uh and the practices that have been going on for so long even till today and it's not just about people turning their back to black lives matter because well, It's not just about denying access there's a macro level systemic uh um dismantling that needs to happen and by the way that also has to deal with defunding the police. So everyone, contact your alder. I know it's time, but my last call to action, everyone in Milwaukee, contact your alder person. The mayor is wimping out right now. The Fire and Police Commission isn't fully staffed. There's no plan to do it. So the mechanism for accountability right now immediately has to be the common couple contact them. Let them know. So
0: we want to thank you, Jonathan, for your call to action, your walking the walk in the streets and coming on today and helping educate our listeners a little bit more about what's happening and reminding everyone we need to get involved. Thank you, Jonathan, so much. We'll have you on again down the road and David on to continue to talk more about this. Really appreciate you, Jonathan.
3: Absolutely. I got my Citizen Action cup related
0: to it. with that. We got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. where Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. So that was a fabulous discussion with uh previous uh, uh, segment and a half with Representative Jonathan Brostoff. If you missed it, we encourage you to go back and listen uh, to that discussion. We are going to spend our last uh, segment talking a little bit about COVID and the COVID pandemic, these are interrelated, they are revealing a lot of flaws and problems in our existing uh, systems and structures. And again, we, we record on Thursday, and I just you know want to highlight that the economic situation as it relates to COVID is, continues to be extremely challenging. We had another 1.5 million unemployment claims filed last week. Uh, This continues to show that some sort of idea that we're going to have a quick recovery is is not in the works, Uh, and so uh, we just wanted to make sure, mention that information, but Claire, I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about how this is impacting uh, healthcare workers, particularly, uh, excuse me, particularly around their ability to access paid leave, since they're the ones that are on the front line doing doing all of this work. Uh, Claire, uh, and there was uh, some, some new information that came out this week that's related to this. I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk briefly about that.
1: Yeah, thank you. So I uh, follow Kaiser Health News, which does just really incredible top-notch uh, journalism as it relates to uh, the healthcare industry. And they recently put out a long, or published a long study where they examined the uh, newly enacted federal protections around paid sick leave as it relates to COVID-19. And um, they found that 69.4 million workers, approximately four in 10, so almost 40% of uh, American workers, are potentially ineligible for the federal emergency paid leave benefits that Congress passed. And of those almost 70 million folks, a full quarter of them work in the healthcare industry. So so that means that um, 17.7 million healthcare workers are not guaranteed access to emergency paid sick leaves under federal law. Um, and some of that is because of exemptions based on industry um, and some of it is based on firm size. So if they work for a private company with over 500 employees. Um, but this is really important because these are obviously uh, frontline workers on the who are, who are battling the pandemic. Um, but they're also, according to Kaiser Health News, 75% women and 39% people of color. So yet again, this is another example of women and people of color the vast majority of workers who don't have access to not only are putting their lives at danger of fighting the pandemic, um, but don't have access um, to paid leave to help them get better, or at least the guarantee of paid leave. They could have benevolent employers who, who grant them. Um, but I also wanted to say of that um, 17.7 million people, 24%, so another quarter of those, are people who are caregivers working in, in homes and in residential care, long-term care facilities. And so as you know, at Citizen Action, we are working on um, supports for those workers specifically. And we've talked a lot about how these are workers who really need access to paid leave for their own protection, their family's protection, but also for their vulnerable clients. So um, I think this shows yet again that home care workers and long-term care facility workers, these paid caregivers, are particularly at risk. Claire
2: is completely right. And we have had a problem in this economy that we have been behind every other advanced industrial country in the basic uh, supports you need in order to work and have a family. And so the fact that 70% of low-wage workers, low-income workers, have zero paid time off of any kind, and that we have done nothing about that, we did a little temporarily, in COVID-19, but that's temporarily in the CARES Act. And as Claire pointed out, it has loopholes. And then if you think about issues like childcare, there's some temporary help, but childcare is an ongoing problem, not only for people who are trying to work and have a family, which is should be a condition of being an American, you should be able to work and have a family and do it well, right, and be a good parent. And then for the caregivers themselves, because we pay them appalling poverty wages when they're doing critical work, right? This is also true of all the caregivers that uh, support seniors and people with disabilities, but all the ones in child care and we would do deliberately. It wasn't some accident. There, it's a privatized sector for the most part uh, that has poverty wages. It's not the it's not the fault of many of the good people who start child care agencies. It's a deliberate structure because it's trying to work without The support of government. And you need more revenue to do this. You can't give all the money away to corporations and billionaires. You can't in Wisconsin uh, have a huge corporate giveaway to every manufacturer in the state with no strings attached, which is what Walker did, and then also have the money for vital things like this for everyone else.
0: We're getting close to the end of the show. I do want to mention a couple quick other COVID things, and then we need to talk a little bit about some Supreme Court rulings that were big news in the past week. Uh, Real quick, do want to mention related to COVID, the UW systems are going to open up this fall. There'll be a number of restrictions, but that is uh, big news that was uh, definitely finalized this week. And also the Wisconsin Election Commission yesterday officially, officially, officially signed off on sending absentee ballots to 2.7 million registered voters in response to COVID. So, uh, but with that, I want to throw it back. Uh, Robert, there was big news this week. Uh, we had some Supreme Court decisions. Uh, the the biggest of the big was uh, the workers' rights uh, verdict for all folks, LGBTQ people uh, in the country. Robert, please uh, give us uh, a quick
2: quick update on this. We have a few minutes to go in our show. Yeah, I'd say one's gigantic and one's big. The gigantic one, and people could differ, is we're finally saying, and it's a 6-3 decision, so it got two conservative justices, that the plain wording of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which bans gender discrimination, includes uh, people with, uh, who are LGBTQ. And so now employment discrimination, which was legal, is not legal in the United States, and it's a precedent-saying decision at 6-3. Woo-hoo. And it's absolutely huge and there were at least two justices willing to read the statute, but of the conservatives, three, you know, a majority of conservatives just ignored the law for ideology. Again, as we say, those those folks aren't judges. And then on DACA, horrible situation with having all of those young people who, who have grown up in the United States come out and register and then try to pull the rug out from under them. And again, four conservative justices voted to uphold Simply the removal of DACA and the deportation of these of these young people, and that is not going to happen because Justice Roberts did one of his flips, and uh, his decision is right. They there the there was this was heedless. There was not even a justification. Uh, there was no explanation by the agency how you could have all these folks register and then use that against them, right? Let alone the the ethics of it. So, both great decisions, both very important.
0: Claire,
1: your thoughts. I agree. Uh, this, I think. Um, first of all, I'll say uh, President Trump must be really just sitting somewhere fuming because he lost two big uh, Supreme Court cases that he had openly boasted about being really confident that he he was going to win. Um, so, uh, or at least the DACA one in particular, right? Um, so so that makes me a little bit happy. Um, but the other thing I'll say is that I, I think this shows that uh, what we do in movement work uh, as far as building public sentiment around issues and changing people's worldview is really, really important uh, because part of, uh, and I've, I've looked into a lot of Supreme Court analysis over the years because I am ruled up the Supreme Court junkie and I really like trying to figure out, you know, what goes through these justices' minds as they make decisions. And something that is a prevailing theory about how chief justices of the Supreme Court work, uh, and what when they make their decisions, I should say, is that they are constantly thinking about what is the historical legacy of the court under their leadership going to be, and how do they maintain the integrity of the Supreme Court as a decision-making body. And that means that they are often thinking about making sure that the court decisions are not too far behind or out of step with popular sentiment. And right now, popular sentiment is on is moving towards and on the side of dreamers and immigrants. And it's also on the side of members of the LGBTQ plus community right now. So it makes sense that in particular, Justice Roberts would be siding with the public sentiment at a time when he wants to ensure that the integrity of the court is preserved by not being fighting with President Trump and in, in what he's so far out of line with uh, the direction of the general popular sentiment in society.
0: That's an excellent point, and uh, it's a great way to close the show. I, I'm glad you brought up uh, Rough Week for Trump on that because, by the way, and as we're thinking about 2020 this fall, one of the major reasons why conservatives who did not like Trump supported him was because they thought of the judges. And they thought that the judges would result in them winning verdicts like this. So defeats like this also help demobilize their base going into the fall. That one of the biggest reasons, right, why they're with Trump is is some of them is because of the judges. And so it is helpful to show that that is not necessarily bearing out exactly the way they want it. But with that, we have got to wrap up this Battleground, Wisconsin. We want to thank our guest, Jonathan Brostoff, who joined us this week. And we will see you all next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin. And again, thank you, Brian Wilgrich, over to you who Makes It Happen every week. See you next week.